Today is the day that the South Carolina Gamecocks will be making their appearance at SEC Media Days. What am I going to be paying attention to and what questions am I looking to have answered from the Gamecocks in Atlanta? I'll be discussing that and more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's video is brought to you by LinkedIn, the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. So be sure to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Lyon, and I've got a jam-packed show for all of you watching or listening to the show today. First and foremost, I'm going to talk about some of the questions and potential storylines that I'm going to be paying attention to regarding certain areas of the team that they could end up talking about. I'm also going to discuss a Major League Baseball draft update and how the draft has so far affected South Carolina in regards to high school baseball commits, along with players that are still currently on South Carolina's roster. And at the end of the show, I'll give my thoughts on some comments from both SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin from day one of SEC Media Days. I'm going to be covering all of that today on the show. Before I get started, as always, thank you for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. It is always free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast daily. All righty, so let's start off with some of the things that are going to be discussed with South Carolina football on day two of SEC Media Days. So, there's one thing that I know for sure is probably going to get brought up when Shane Beamer steps up to the podium or when he goes down Radio Row while they're in Atlanta, and that is going to surround the circumstances regarding Spencer Rattler not being one of the three that was brought to represent South Carolina at SEC Media Days. And of course, a few media members, whether it be out of sheer curiosity or out of spite potentially, are probably going to end up asking Shane Beamer that question multiple times. So how will Shane Beamer handle the question surrounding Spencer Rattler? I do believe that Shane Beamer, of course, is not going to be, um, how should I say, flagrant with his response. I do think that he's going to be quite measured. I do also think it is a very easy answer for him to give in the sense that he's bringing along three players that, as I mentioned on my short clip regarding him not bringing Spencer Rattler, all three of these guys, Javon Gwynn, Dakarion Joyner, and Zach Pickens, are all seniors who have been in the program for at least four years and have been through a lot of the ups and downs of the past several seasons. And because of all that, these are guys that have more than earned the right to be representatives for the school for an event like SEC Media Day. So that, in my opinion, is going to be an easy answer for him to give. If he wanted to go in-depth on why he didn't bring Spencer Rattler here again, he could just say maybe that he wanted Spencer Rattler to have some of the extra days to be able to stay focused and locked into this upcoming season and getting ready for it, maybe have some extra time studying the playbook. I don't think he'll really go that in-depth with his answer, but I will be interested to see how Shane Bieber responds to the questions 
surrounding Spencer Rattler, which will more than likely be brought up in Atlanta. Another thing I'm going to be interested to see is how Shane Beamer is going to deal with the sudden change of expectation this time around compared to SEC media days this past summer. Now, there's no question that going into last football season, South Carolina was not expected by the majority of the country and even a lot of people in SEC circles to do a whole lot. And that led to a lot of people predicting South Carolina to win somewhere between three and five games. Now, of course, South Carolina would turn around and win seven games this past year, despite a lot of adverse circumstances that Shane Beamer and this coaching staff had to deal with. So, you've obviously already proven a lot of people wrong based on what you've already done in year one. Now, the bar is going to be set a lot higher, especially after what happened last year. And on top of all that, all the improvements Shane Beamer has made to this roster through high school recruiting and mainly the transfer portal. Of course, bringing in guys like Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner from Oklahoma, Antoine Willis Jr. from James Madison, so on and so forth. So with all of this, obviously there's going to be some questions about how he's going to handle the new found expectations and maybe even what he believes the team is capable of accomplishing this next season. And I have no doubt that Shane Bieber is going to probably speak very glowingly of the team. I think that it would be hard for him to contain probably the excitement that he feels if he's anything like the fans in regards to all the players that he has brought on to the team for this next season. But again, I don't think that Shane's going to go over the top and say something like, yeah, I fully expect us to be right at the top of the Eastern Division. I don't think he's going to say anything like that because obviously other teams would take that as a shot being fired at them inadvertently. So Shane probably won't do anything like that, but I will be interested to see how he responds to questions regarding the expectations for next season. Another thing that I'm going to be paying attention to, this one specifically with one of the players, on Joyner. Now, obviously, on Joyner had a really phenomenal performance in the Dukes Mayo Bowl against North Carolina, which led to him winning the Dukes Mayo Bowl MVP award. And this was despite the fact that he had transitioned to quarterback for just the Dukes Mayo Bowl after having played the whole season at wide receiver, which has led to a big question regarding to carry on Joyner for Gamecock fans this next season. And that is, what is to carry on Joyner's role going to be in this offense? Is to carry on going to stay with the wide receivers group and, you know, maybe go to quarterback if, you know, gosh forbid, there's a slew of injuries and we are in an emergency type situation? Or could to carry on Joyner actually now have a couple packages developed for him once again at the quarterback spot? So the defenses have to stay honest, knowing that he still has a lot of ability in regards to throwing the football. And I, of course, don't expect to carry on Joyner to really give away too much regarding maybe any answers to potential questions surrounding what he'll be expected to do this next season. But of course, Coach Satterfield and Coach Beamer, I think to a certain extent this offseason, have mentioned in spring press conferences that they would be crazy to not at least have certain plays and certain packages dialed up for Dakaron Joyner, which does hint at the fact that he could end up seeing a little bit of a split between quarterback and wide receiver. And with all of this in mind, I think it'd be very interesting to see if on Joyner gets any questions regarding that and how he ends up responding to it, maybe to see if he gives away anything regarding that. And then the last question I'm going to have regards another player in Javon Gwynn, who's an offensive guard, of course, for South Carolina, and how he could respond to maybe any questions regarding the offensive line play from last year. 
And look, there's no question. Javon has probably already mentally prepared himself for the fact that he is going to get questions surrounding the O-line's lack of high-level performance from this past season and maybe what they are trying to do in order to rectify all of that this next season. And I think that Javon Gwynn is going to be very honest. I do see Javon, again, being measured with his response like the rest of the guys and head coach Shane Beamer. But I really do want to see how he ends up responding. If it's going to be a response, maybe to the effect of, well, yeah, me and the offensive line, we, we've been working extra hard doing, you know, two workout sessions in a day compared to everybody else's one for the whole offseason. We all spend extra time after practice in spring practice. We've all been getting together as a whole group every, you know, four or five days every single week this summer because we are hellbound and determined to change the narrative around the offensive line from this past season or is he going to end up saying something like you know yeah we understand that we need to do better we know that if this offense is going to take a jump this upcoming season we have to do a better job of protecting the quarterback and understanding what our assignments are so regarding the offensive line of course I've already given my thoughts in the sense that I think that they have a very high ceiling and a higher floor compared to what they did this past year regarding the returning experience and the return of offensive line coach Greg Atkins and the continuity of the scheme and the language but I think that'll be really interesting to hear from one of the players currently on the team who's been around the block a couple times in Javon Gwynn to see what his thoughts are on what the offensive line's mindset is heading into 2022. Now, of course, the football team is not the only sport that has had a lot going on over the past couple of days or so. South Carolina's baseball team has been very closely watching the Major League Baseball draft to see which potential commits or players on the roster could be heading on to the minor leagues for the rest of this year. Have the any players been selected from South Carolina? And if so, who were they and who could still be selected on day three? I'll cover all that in just a couple moments after I pass along a quick message from our friends over at LinkedIn. Now, as the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and free of charge. Myself being a recent college graduate, I've been able to stay in touch and create a network with many people are alumni of the University of South Carolina. When you use LinkedIn, LinkedIn Jobs, you can create job posts in minutes to reach both your own personal network and a worldwide professional network consisting of 810 million people. You can also add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame on your profile, which helps to find the right people that fit the job description to AT, using tools like screening questions to filter through candidates and populate viable choices. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors in the industry. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions still apply. And after you post your job to LinkedIn, you can also look to see which NFL stars are moving the betting lines the most. Starting July 18th, Lockdown will give you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Lockdown NFL, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. 
Okay, so moving on from South Carolina's football team, let's now talk about South Carolina's baseball team, which I haven't talked about as much so far on the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, but they've got a lot of important things going on right now as the Major League Baseball draft is currently ongoing and as of today are now in day three of the draft process. So the first question you may have is, well, Andrew, has anybody whether there be a commitment or a current roster player been selected from South Carolina so far in the draft. And the answer I found lies in an article that was composed by Colin Taylor of Gamecock Central from On3 Sports. And he has been tracking all of this stuff that has been going on so far for the Major League Baseball draft. And the Gamecocks have had one high school commit drafted so far in Jacob Zippen was drafted by the Cleveland Guardians in round 10 at pick number 301. His projected slot value right now is at $151,900. And according to Colin Taylor, he was apparently a long shot to make it to campus in the first place, looking like the professional route would have been his go-to no matter what. And he did say the Gamecocks do still have plenty of quality arms to offset the loss if he does not make it to campus, which tells me that Jacob Zippen is a pitcher for their high school recruiting class. Now, Zippen might not be the only high school commit that gets drafted here, as the Gamecocks have two other high-level prospects who are currently still on the board, starting off with Eli Jerzenbeck, who is a right-handed pitcher and outfielder out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Eli is rated as the 63rd best prospect in the country by perfect game, the 16th best right-hander in the country, and the best right-handed pitcher out of the state of North Carolina. And looking back at the article real quick, if you're watching this on YouTube, he was rated the number 129th prospect heading into the draft, which would have put him at an early day two selection. But as of this moment, he still has not been drafted. Another prospect from the high school ranks that South Carolina could still lose is Ethan Petrie, who seems to be mainly an infielder prospect out of Lando Lakes, Florida. He is also rated as a 10 out of 10 by perfect game, the 31st best prospect in the country, the 5th best third baseman in the country, and the 2nd best third baseman out of the state of Florida. So both of these guys, apparently, if they continue to slide in the Major League Baseball draft, South Carolina could end up actually seeing both these guys come on campus, which it seemed like based off these rankings would have been a bit of a long shot at the start of this whole process. And when looking at current players who are on the roster right now, apparently South Carolina has three players who could still be drafted, according to Colin Taylor. Those guys being Braylon Wimmer, Noah Hall, and Josiah Seitler. Now, Braylon Wimmer was ranked the 239th best prospect on Baseball America's list heading into the draft. And Braylon Wimmer was a solid player for the Gamecocks, especially at the plate last year, batting 312 for the season with an 827 OPS, seven homers, and 35 ribbies. Going to Noah Hall, Noah Hall had a 3-5 record in 15 appearances last year with a 4.34 ERA, pitching 76 and two-third innings, giving up 31 walks while striking out 78 batters and giving up an opposing batting average of 253. Not bad for a college starting pitcher. And then Josiah Seitler was a guy who just absolutely caught fire during the SEC stretch of the schedule. For the season, he batted 300 at the plate with a 1.037 OPS, 15 homers, and 34 ribbies. Obviously, South Carolina getting all three of those guys back would be a big boost 
for head coach Mark Kingston and this coaching staff heading into the 2023 baseball season. I'm a little bit surprised admittedly myself that Braylon Wilmer has yet to be drafted by anybody. I kind of figured he could go anywhere between rounds like 7 through 10 personally, but if the Gamecocks could end up getting Braylon Wilmer back again, would be a really big boost for an infield that is losing Colin Burgess, that could still potentially lose Kevin Madden, although it seems like that he could be coming back for this next season as well. So the Gamecocks could end up having a nice, diverse group of both players from this past year's roster, guys that are transferring in from all over, which I'll cover another day, and some decent high school prospects as well. So that is the latest from South Carolina's baseball team regarding the Major League Baseball draft. So heading on back to SEC Media Days, you may still be wondering, so was there anything really important that I missed from anybody on day one? And I would say that SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin made some interesting comments when the two of them were at the podium on Monday. And I'll let you all know what all they said in just a couple moments after a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports information, where you'll find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including college football and NFL futures, regular season Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline also acts as a continuous source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and much, much more. So be sure to head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the latest trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so getting back to SEC Media Days to end the show. Let's discuss some of the comments that Commissioner Greg Sankey made at the podium on Monday. So I'll start off with some of the opening remarks that he had in his State of the Union-esque speech he gave to media members. So Greg Sankey noted that in the BCS college football playoff era, the SEC has had six different football programs win the national championship, showcasing the competitive depth of the conference. He also says that the SEC is stronger now than at any other time in our history. And with the expansion of Texas and Oklahoma, it keeps the SEC in support of reasonable geography among like-minded universities and keeps confidence that fan interest will continue to grow. There's no sense of urgency in the league. No panic in reaction to others' decisions. We know who we are, are confident in the collective strength and uniquely positioned to continue to provide remarkable experiences educationally and athletically to student-athletes. So, based on this comment that I just mentioned, Greg Sankey clearly does not feel the need for the conference to have to press right now and try to respond to the Big Ten's move, getting Southern Cal and UCLA from the Pac-12. And quite honestly, right now, Greg Sankey doesn't really need to make any moves. The SEC does still seem to be, by and large, the strongest conference in the sport. And again, the Southern Cal and UCLA move was a response from the Big Ten to the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma this past year. And Greg Sankey said during his opening remarks and the questioning thereafter that he felt like that the Texas-Oklahoma move was still overall a better move objectively than the Southern Cal-UCLA move. And he took plenty of shots at the Big Ten by also saying that their actions are not being dictated by TV markets or television networks. So Greg Sankey definitely not afraid to let the Big Ten know that right now 
he's really not worried at all. And if anything, it's like water off a duck's back with everything that's going on with college football realignment. When addressing football scheduling, he did say that their models are still under consideration, but the spring meeting conversations were productive in terms of narrowing down their options. He said that they still have time to make a decision, and they plan to use the time to inform their decision-making. He also mentioned that football coaches were unanimous at spring meetings about booster activity and NIL staying separated in the recruiting aspect of their work. This doesn't come as a shock at all. It's been brought up multiple times in discussions on NIL and how it could affect head coaches of major college football programs, that if a booster, say, pays X amount of dollars for a particular prospect, and that prospect all of a sudden now is not starting pretty much as soon as they get on campus, and let's, of course, imagine that we're talking about seven, eight figures with X prospect, then is that booster still going to be happy with what the head coach is doing? Would they try to act like the college football equivalent of a general manager of the football team and send directives to the head coach on certain actions they believe they should take, or else maybe they'll cut off their funding for the program. That is a big issue that a lot of people and football coaches in particular have brought up. And therefore, because of all that discussion, it does not surprise me that Greg Sankey mentioned this little blurb that apparently took place during the SEC spring meetings. This isn't getting talked about as much as some of his other quotes, but I still did find this to be very interesting regarding that aspect of NIL and college football. He also admitted that the possibilities of litigation limits what the NCAA can actually do. Many people that follow the sport closely enough already know this, which is why he believes Congress is the best opportunity to set a national standard for this space. Greg Sankey hammered NIL a ton with his opening remarks and the questioning that he got out afterwards saying that he basically believes that it is the wild wild west with nil right now and the fact that there is no regulation on it whatsoever and the only bylaws that are currently in place are differing sets of bylaws from different states tennessee being different from south carolina south carolina being different from alabama alabama being different from florida florida from texas so on and so forth and mentioning how it's unfair to prospective high school recruits and their parents or guardians that there's differing sets of language between all these state laws that they have to go through in order to try to figure out whether or not they're basically getting jobbed with the deal that's being put onto the table or if it's something that's actually worth their while And because of all this, he said that this is why he believes that Congress should get involved because we would at least have uniformity with everything going on surrounding NIL and college football. Now, of course, I have my own opinion on whether or not the federal government should get involved in college football's business. But these are Greg Sankey's words regarding NIL specifically at SEC Media Days. And to sum up everything he said, he said that the SEC won't be complacent. So there's a few things that are really big takeaways from Greg Sankey. Firstly, he believes that the conference truly is good where it is right now, and he doesn't see any immediate needs for us to have to go out and get any other teams from any other conferences. Secondly, if the SEC does make any moves in the future regarding college football realignment, he is going to let the dominoes fall where they may regarding other conferences and Notre Dame. The SEC is not going to be the team that pushes the first domino, causing another chain reaction of events. And he did mention that we got Texas and Oklahoma because, quite frankly, the conference felt like there was only a matter of time before they were going to leave their respective conference in the Big 12, and that it just made sense from a geographic standpoint and the way that they support their football programs for them to try to pursue them as potential SEC members. 
Now, to move on real quickly to a couple responses, Lane Kiffin had to some questions he had when he was at the podium. He had a question regarding the transfer portal and NIL, along with the coach's role in all of that. And Lane Kiffin responded to this question, saying that ideally, NIL needs to be capped so there's control on it. Basically kind of similar to the response Greg Sankey had, except for Lane Kiffin believes that there should be actual dollar figure limits. Otherwise, there will be a glaring difference between the... Otherwise, there'll be glaring differences. And coaches should play a part in this. So he does believe that there should be some involvement between both coaches and, I guess, boosters and collectives, per se. At least we're going to assume so for this response. He also did mention that if you get boosters deciding who they want to play, how is that going to work? Like I mentioned earlier, how does it work out when certain players don't play that boosters basically got there because of NIL deals? And... Ended the whole answer by saying that this wasn't thought out very well at all, and a lot of football coaches saw this coming. And then another interesting response he had to another question was regarding how much NIL works and about college football now being more about money than anything else. And Lankiewicz's response was, you do well with NIL with good boosters. It's like a payroll. The best teams pay the best as well. I said it from day one. You've legalized cheating, so get ready for those people that have the most money to get the best players. And while I won't go as far to agree with Lane Kiffin on it all being cheating, Lane Kiffin's main point that he was trying to drive here is, again, kind of the same points that Greg Sanko is trying to make with NIL. There's absolutely no regulation whatsoever. There are no rules. And because of that, you have now opened the door for a lot of these high-end football programs, programs that care about their product on the field, to essentially abuse a blank list of laws. The fact that there is nothing they have to abide by. They could do whatever they want. No matter how much the NCAA tries to send out these memos to say, hey, listen, don't do this, that, or the other. That is nowhere near the best way to try and control what is going on with NIL and college football. So I thought that all these comments were very interesting from Lane Kiffin, the head coach of Ole Miss, and SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on day one. And based on all these comments, it'll probably be interesting to see how all these other coaches respond to some of this on days two, three, and four. I'm sure that the media members are probably going to bring up some of these comments and ask them what their thoughts are on it. And therefore, the other coaches are now going to have to tread more carefully because of the remarks of Lane Kiffin. But Lane Kiffin is always good for a couple sound bites when he's on a mic. So with all that being said, that is going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show as always. What are y'all going to be looking for from South Carolina at SEC Media Days? Is there anything that maybe you want to see Shane Beamer or the players respond to? Any questions you think they're going to get that I did not mention that are going to be important ones to address? What are your thoughts on the Major League Baseball draft right now regarding current high school commits for South Carolina and some of the current players on the roster? Is there any guys you think that could go quickly on day three and maybe won't come back after all? And then lastly, what are your thoughts on the comments that Greg Sankey and Lane Kiffin made from day one of SEC Media Days? Do you have any different feelings on those responses compared to mine? I want to hear all of your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this, however, on audio podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts daily, then feel free to send me a message at a line underscore SC, and I'll be sure to, of course, respond to any replies or comments you have as quickly as I can. 
And of course, if you've enjoyed Locked On Gamecocks and want to get more news on the entire SEC conference, then make Locked On SEC your second listen every day. Host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On will take you across the SEC in just 30 minutes. Again, make Locked On SEC your second listen after you listen to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope that you all have a great Tuesday, and I'll catch you on the next show of Locked On Gamecocks podcast.